Well, if you'd open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, that we're going to be this morning, and I encourage you to do that. I trust you brought your Word of God with you, and if you don't do that, or find your app or whatever, but um, I need you to be in the, in the Word. I want you to think about, have you ever met somebody really, really famous? You know, like a, a president, or a, a world leader, or a a, um, just a, a person that has authority in, in some way, fashion, or form. You know, most of us, we, we dream about a moment like that, and we would say this, we would say that, or, you know, if I had the chance to meet this person or this person, I, I would say these things, I would ask these questions. And, and, and like you, you know, I've kind of fantasized about what I would say if I ever met such, such and such person, and you know, it doesn't always go that way. I really haven't met a whole lot of famous people, at least not people that you might recognize. But the most important person I ever met happened about a year ago. Now, his name might not mean a lot to you, okay? But in my world, it's a big name. My family and I were traveling, and we had landed there at uh, BWI Airport. And um, I think that was the airport it was in. And we got in a a small bus that took us out to where our, our car was. And so I'm sitting there. We've been traveling for hours. And of course, you know, we were in horrible seats because we try to save money when we're flying, just like you, you know, and we're just cranky and tired and it had been a long day. And I'm sitting there in this little bus. And I've got all my bags around and I look over and sitting like right next to me is him. I, I couldn't believe that I was sitting next to him. This guy is like a hero of mine. I've, I've heard him speak to thousands of people. I've read his books. Some of you have as well. I walked over to him and I said, Hey, is, is your name David? And he says, Yeah, it is. And I said, Like, David Platt? Now, I don't know if you know that name, but David Platt is a, like a world-known pastor and, and speaker, and he right now is a pastor of McLean Bible Church, and, and I just he's like a hero of mine. David Platt? And he says, yeah, it's, it's me, David Platt. And now, I'm going to ask all these questions, right? These theological questions, you know, questions about like leading our church and decisions that we're facing. And what about these challenges we're having here? You know, I've got this moment that I'm just, I'm here one-on-one with David Platt. I can ask him anything in the world, right? You know what I did? I blubbered and stuttered and said nothing. I was like, oh, I, I know you. I, I heard you speak once. And he looked at me. The worst part was the look. It was this sad look, you know, of like kind of feeling sorry for me. You know, me a little bit of awkward, kind of cringy. You know, he kind of looked at me like, you poor person. And I, 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 he didn't say it, but like there was this like mind like thing that came into my head. And, he, and I felt him thinking, you look like a fool and you know it. You know what I mean? He didn't say it. But it was there. And so I just kind of, you know, my shoulders now, before I was like, David Platt, now my shoulders are are down here. And I kind of just, you know, shuffled over to my family and sat down. And they said, Dad, Dad, do you know him? Do you know? I'm like, yeah, I I know him. Does he know you? Well, he he does now. You know, he knows now. So what would you do if you met somebody amazingly important? 
like the person in all of creation, and you could speak to them, what would you say? How would you interact? By now you've found Matthew chapter 6. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, and we are now looking at what Jesus has to say about prayer. We started this last week, and we said, Wonder of wonders, the child of God can pray prayer that God hears. I, we, we must not let that just sort of bounce off our backs like water off the backside of a duck. We need to recognize the, the weight of that truth. That you and I, in, the, in the, the running around of the day, when we're overwhelmed with details, or in the darkness of the night, when we're, run, when we're just run over by details, whether you are so busy you can't think straight, or it's the middle of the night and you can't stop thinking, we can talk to the God of the universe. And He hears us. And He cares for us. Oh, if you bumped into an important person, you probably would stumble into his presence, right? And, or her presence. And you might, you might stumble over your words and not really express yourself clearly. And sometimes it can be that way when we talk to God. Sometimes it can be that way. But a funny thing about us, as we spend more time with people, as we interact with people more in a close realm of life, we get much more comfortable in our communication. Now, you've got your, you've, by now you've found Matthew chapter 6. I want to read the passage, then we're going to jump back in another passage for a minute to come back here. So, so let's start reading now at verse number 7 of Matthew chapter 6. Probably familiar words, but let's see what God's Spirit recorded for us. This is Jesus speaking, and he said, And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. You will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then Jesus adds these two little thoughts in verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We say often here, we point to Jesus Christ. It's what we do. We point to Jesus and his word. We want, we want us, and this morning, every time we come together, when we interact with each other, we want us to, to meet the Lord Jesus in our spirit and him impress upon us truth about him, about ourselves, and have this connection with Christ. It's what we want. It's what we desire. So the question is, what was Jesus like? Or maybe what is Jesus like? 
For just to, to warm us up to what we're going to talk about today, I want you to keep your finger, just turn briefly to, to perhaps maybe Jesus' most well-known prayer. It's in Matthew chapter 26. And I want you just to see it just briefly that Jesus illustrates for us exactly what the disciples saw. Why it is that they ask him to teach them how to pray. Remember, this is the one thing that the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. So in Matthew chapter 26, we have a bird's eye view into what Jesus prayer was like. You can find other versions too, and I thought about going here, John chapter 17, a great passage where Jesus is praying, talking to his father. But in Matthew chapter 26, I want you just to see this just briefly, just to see the kind of prayer life that Jesus had. In verse 36 of chapter 26 of the gospel of Matthew, the, 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 the account is described here because Jesus is now in a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. In Matthew 26, 37, he takes with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. He began to be sorrowful and, he tr- and very troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed. Now I'll stop the reading there for just a moment. I want you to contemplate what this means, that Jesus Christ, fully God, is praying. He's also fully man. And what we see here is that even Jesus, in his incarnated deity, as he is God in the flesh, is absolutely dependent upon prayer. He's now calling out to his brothers, and saying, pray for me. Pray for me. I need you to pray for me, to lift me up. We see Jesus modeling his dependence upon the Father. You see, Jesus lived a life of full dependence upon God and his Spirit. And the disciples saw it. They saw it. And they understood this was a part of the power that they saw in Jesus that he depended upon God. And so when they had the opportunity in Luke chapter 11, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. So what did they see? Well, look at it here. He prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Close quote. That's it. That's it. It's not flowery. It's not long. It's not theological. It's just the cry of his heart. It's just him crying out to his father. You know my needs. You care for me. And he continues. He came to the disciples. He saw them sleep and he said, Peter, could you not watch him for an hour? Watch him pray. Again, verse 42. But the second time he went away and he prayed, My father... If this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Close quote. That's it. Cries out to God. And again he came and found them sleeping, but their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. 
We see here how Jesus prayed. Dependence. Speaking to the Father as a son. Driven by this purpose. Driven by a purpose in his life. It was a sincere, pure-hearted prayer. When the disciples saw it, they said, teach us to pray. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6 and see, remind us what we, what we dealt with when we were together a week ago. We talked last week that that prayer that Jesus accepts is pure. It's pure. What that means is it's unadulterated. It's, it, is, it is only your prayer between you and God. It's not to impress other people. It's not, it's not, to, not to amaze people with your prayer life or your prayer language. It's purely you speaking to God as your Father. And so last Sunday on Father's Day, we talked about that we come to God as our Father, and He receives us as His sons and as His daughters. But now what Jesus is going to teach his disciples is how to pray with purpose. What are we to pray for? So he's already talked to us about how we are to pray, a pure prayer without alien matter, and talking to him, God, as our Father. But now, what are we to pray for? And there's two words I want you to remember here, and they both start with G, so you can remember them, okay? We pray for God's glory, we pray for God's grace, his glory and his grace. So let's see that. In verse number 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many of you grew up in a church where you would quote this prayer as a group regularly? Yeah, me too, me too. And you've probably noticed that at verse number 13, we don't have what you might have recited from the King James Version. For thine is the glory and all that. that. Now the reason for that, in case you're wondering why that isn't there, is that little part added on there at verse number 13 is not in the oldest manuscripts. There's probably something added later on. What we have here is a true representation of what the manuscripts recorded about Jesus' prayer. And the first thing I want us to see here is that he is praying for God's glory. For God's glory. I want, to rem- I want to remind you what we said last week. This is not a mantra. This is a model. Now, there's nothing wrong with you reciting this prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. If you know this prayer by heart, if you've memorized it, there's not a thing wrong with you reciting that to the Lord. What's wrong would be is if you started reciting it thinking that now it's going to be like some kind of a, a magic rabbit's foot that if you say it, that God is going to work. Okay, that, that is prayer like the Gentiles, like the pagans. If I repeat words in the right way, and the right order, with the right facial gestures, or whatever, then God is obligated to answer. That's, that's, not, that's not what God is modeling to us through the prayer of Jesus. And as a matter of fact, when, it's, when Jesus says, I'll say this, um, pray like this, verse number 9, pray then like this, That's an important phrase, okay? And what it means is in a similar pattern. So it does, so we aren't, we aren't reciting these words, but we're following this pattern. So what Jesus gives us like a skeleton for how to pray. And the first thing we pray for is for God's glory. For God's glory. Now, what is God's glory? That's a word we don't use very often, right? You probably never use the word glory in a, in a given day. But it's all through your Bible. 
it's important for us to know what it means. Because I want us to see, even though that word is not used here, the concept is all through this passage. I want to show it to you, then I'll tell you what it means. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Three expressions expressing this, honestly, a parallel truth, almost the exact same concept, that God would be glorified. That God would be glorified. Let me help you know what that means, and you'll see why I chose that word. To glorify means to magnify. Now, we know what the word magnify means. We know what the word magnify means. I was helped to understand this by the writings of a man named John Piper. He helped me understand what the word glory means in this way. Let me, let me use his illustration to help us know what the word glorify means. Magnify can be used in two different ways. It can be used to make a very small thing look large. Okay, remember 10th grade science class? You look through the microscope or the magnifying glass, and you would, you would look at those little, like, you know, pieces of glass together, and you could see the cells, okay? You took a very small thing, and you made it look large. I find myself doing this regularly now. I put on some of those reader glasses so that that tiny little print in those books, at least it looks that way now, it's larger. So that's one way we can think of magnify, is to take something small and make it look artificially large. But that's not what glorify means. That is not what this word glorify means. When we glorify God, when we're praying that his name would be hallowed, that his kingdom would come, and that his will would be done, this is for the glory of God, it does not mean we make something small appear large. Oh, see, there's another kind of magnify. It's called a telescope. Now, what's a telescope do? A telescope takes a giant thing a huge star, a galaxy, and allows us to see just a glimpse of its size. That's what the word glorify means. It's our life lived in such a way that we take something or someone that is large and allow other people to get a glimpse of his largeness. And what Jesus is modeling to us, the way that we are to pray, is for God's glory. Let me show you this. First of all, he says, Hallowed be your name. Now, there's a word you don't use too often, right? Hallowed. What does it even mean? Okay? Well, let me give you a hint. Halloween. Oh, yeah. Same root. Hallowed means to make something sacred, to make something special, to see the true value of one. Hallowed be your name. Make it holy. Make your name sacred. Allow people to see your unique nature, that you, God, your name, your character, your person, you alone are the transcendent one. There is no other. There is no other than the Lord God. Hallowed be your name means that I am desirous that the world around me see God for how and who he truly is. Not the little miniature God that people make up. Watch your Twitter feed. 
Watch your Facebook feed. Watch the news. Watch it. You see the God that people believe in often. You know, the, the imaginary character God. You know, the, this idea of this imaginary friend that Christians have that, that because we're afraid of the dark, we call out to him. That's a, that's a wrong view. It's a tiny view of God. You know, the, the troubleshooter view of God. You know, I've got this problem in my life. I finally call out to God. That's a tiny view of God. That's not Halloween. This, this wish giver, okay, you know, oh God, let me pass this test, even though I didn't study. Remember in third grade, you pray that way. Like I've got this wish and I want it to come happy. Oh, please let it come true. That's a tiny view of God. Don't treat him that way. Don't view him that way. Don't portray him that way. Hallowed be your name. Let others see that you alone are God. You and only you are worthy of worship. Jesus prayed this way. Listen to John 17, 24 to 26. Listen to Jesus' prayer. Listen to a snapshot of Jesus' prayer. He says, Father calls him his Father. I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known. This is what it means to pray, Hallowed be your name. And then Jesus prays, Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Now what is that? Well, when will Jesus' kingdom come? And what exactly is a kingdom? What is Jesus modeling for us to pray? He's modeling for us to pray, longing for Jesus to come back and to establish his kingdom on earth. This is what he is modeling for us to pray. This is what the desire of our heart is to be. Jesus Come make right, right. Come make wrong, wrong. Come bring justice. Come bring righteousness. Come protect your name, Jesus. Come protect your kingdom. Come let the world see your character. Let them see who you are, God. Your kingdom come. You know how when you watch the news, or you go back to your Twitter feed, or your Facebook feed, and you're like, oh, the world is so broken, there's abuse, and there's, there's anguish, and there's pain, and there's sorrow, and you feel like you just want to break down and cry, and your spirit grieves. Do you have a grieving spirit over the status of the world? Listen, you should. You should. 
We should be broken over the injustice of the world. We should be broken over the pain in the world, over the suffering in the world. But what do we do? Pass laws? Maybe that'll fix it. Find a new president? Maybe that'll fix it. Find a new sheriff or a new mayor or a new dog catcher. I don't know. Is that going to take care of it? No. No. The only one who will fix it is the Lord Jesus. And as believers, it's what we long for. It's what we long You get up every morning and you think, oh, you didn't come back last night. Maybe today. Oh, God, come. Oh, God, come. I want to be with you. Set up your kingdom. Come. And then the last thing of this glory part of Jesus' prayer, he says, your will be done. Your will be done. This is the rule of God fulfilled in my life. In my life. Your rule. You're my Lord. You're my master. You call every shot. I'm only your servant. A willing slave. I am yours. And one of the things that's interesting about these three ways that Jesus prays for, notice he ends it with this, this like capstone. On earth as it is in heaven. See, this is what we want as believers. This is what we desire and long for. Listen, it's coming. It's coming. God is going to fulfill his plan. In fact, this this first part of the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, we call it, or the the disciples' prayer, this first part of the prayer, you, you would label it, ready for a word? You would label this eschatological. You've heard of the word eschatology, okay, maybe? And this is, and when you usually hear the word eschatology, you hear things like the rapture and like 666 and the Antichrist and the Battle of Armageddon, and that, that's all fine. That's all fine. We can talk about that some other time. Those are the events of what the Bible lays out for the future. But what those events really are accomplishing is this eschatological plan. That is what eschatology is. That God is going to complete his plan. That he's going to restore his plan. That the world is broken by sin. That God created a perfect world, placed people upon it, and they sinned. They rebelled against God. And so now those of us who are redeemed, who have been forgiven, we are in this world. We have a new nature. Okay, and we also have our old nature, and they're, they're fighting against one another. We, we feel the internal battle. We also see it all around us, and we're longing for God to come and to complete his plan, to complete his plan on earth. Do you long for that? Do you long for him to restore? Do you long for the grieving to end? See, that's what we pray for. This is what we pray for. Not, oh God, let my stock value go up. Oh God, give me this extra toy. Lord, I need this person to date or that person. Or fix this problem. 
take this away. This, this isn't the flavor of our prayer. Now, Jesus is going to deal with some of the things in just a minute. But he's starting where he's starting for a reason. For his. And we want him to come and finish his plan, to complete his plan. And we're longing for it. And we're ready and willing to be part of his plan. Now, he's concerned about our needs and our desires. He's our father. I mean, who among you, if your child comes to you and says, Dad, can I have a piece of bread? Who among you would would give him a stone? Or if your child came to you and said, Dad, can I have a piece of fish? Would, Would you give him a serpent? No. But you, being evil, you know how to give your children good gifts. How much, full, how much more does your heavenly Father know and desire to give you good gifts? See, that's his love for us. So let's see how he handles those things. And that's the second half of this prayer. It's at verse number 11. And here, our word is all about grace. It's all about grace. We have praying for his glory and now praying for his grace. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now I want us to see here that, that what, what Jesus is modeling for us is that we're praying for, for everyday grace. Everyday grace. I mean, start out with with the whole thing about our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. How different it would be if he said, give us us this month our monthly bread. Wouldn't that be different? Or, hey Jesus, can you give us enough food to last us the next year? That's not what he prays. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, to understand some of the context of this day, in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus relays a story about a day laborer. In this culture, it it wasn't a common practice for someone to work for a week and get paid at the end of the week. You would work for a day, and you would get paid for a day. And the next day, you'd come to work, and you'd work for a day, and get paid for a day. And the next day, you'd come to work, and you'd work for a day, and you'd get paid for a day. That was the common practice in this day. And listen, Jesus invites you to that kind of relationship with him. This is an everyday provision. Every day I come to him and I say, Lord Jesus, give me what I need for today. I need what I need for this day. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm not going to worry about what's going to happen if my boss does this. I'm not going to worry about what's going to happen if my child does this. I'm not going to worry about what's going to happen if my car does this or my stock does this. I'm not going to worry about that. Give me this day my daily bread. That's all he promises us, folks. That's all he promises us. He doesn't promise you food in three days. Not that I'm aware of in the Bible. He says, pray for your daily bread bread. Every single day we pray that God meets our needs for that day. Meet my needs today. Man, this can be practical. I can remember a time in our, in our family's life, we were facing a struggle. It was one of these ones where, 
where my wife and I can't even sleep. We're, we're up at night. You ever had one of these moments? We're up at night worrying and talking and, and fretting. And as I've already evidenced today, I can get a little emotional. Okay, that's how God's designed me. Nothing wrong with that. Okay, nothing wrong with that. I can still gut a deer. Okay, so don't, don't get worried on me. Okay, but I can get a little emotional. And my wife often speaks truth into my heart in those moments. And she heard me and she listened to me and, and I was worried about the future. And she said, we need to pray for God's grace for today. For today. And so we did that. Give us this day our daily bread. That's, that's what he promises. His grace is sufficient for this day. His grace is sufficient for the day you're on. Don't worry about tomorrow. It'll worry about itself. Who can add a single day to your... Or who can add a span to your height, Jesus says, by worrying? Can't. Give us this day. And then he goes on. There's some more everyday things. We'll hit them quickly here because these are much easier to understand. Verse number 12. Forgive us our debts. So now we're praying for everyday forgiveness. Now the Matthew... I'm sorry, the Luke chapter 11 version... Jesus taught this on many occasions. He taught this model of prayer over and over and over. See, they weren't selling CDs or cassettes or downloading a podcast of Jesus' teaching. So as he taught all around the region, he would repeat themes to new crowds of people. And you all know how we forget things. So he would repeat things. In the Luke chapter 11 expression of how we are to pray, Jesus does in, in, in that occasion, Luke records, he says, forgive us our sins as, those, as we do forgive those who have sinned against us. Here, Matthew records, forgive us our debts as we forgive, as we have forgiven, that is, our debtors. So what is this debt? Now, let's, just, let's just take care of this. It's, it's not talking about a financial debt, obviously. It's not talking about that. But it is talking about the debt of our sin. It's talking about the fact that even in Christ, sometimes, often, we sin against Jesus and against his grace. And now what, what's being modeled to us is that we now have this ongoing relationship where we deal with that. So when I, when I think bad thoughts about somebody, when I gossip in my head or gossip with my mouth, when I covet or lust, when I lie or steal, I instantly, short accounts with God, say, God, I don't want to think that thought. I don't, I don't want to have that image in my head. I don't want to feel that feeling. Take it away from me. I hate it. I hate it. I hate coveting. I hate lusting. I hate gossip. I hate it. Take it away. Jesus is modeling for us this is how we maintain this everyday forgiveness. Listen, don't let it store up. The moment, the moment it comes, men, the moment the thought tracks you down, you pray, God, I hate it. I hate it. Forgive us our debts. 
then there's this everyday transformation, and I'm going to have to just fly through this and just hit this quick. But notice what happens. In verse 12, we find ourselves forgiving other people. And we're expressing that to God. Can you think about that for a minute? Jesus is now modeling for us to express our forgiveness of other people to him. Now, why might that be? Why might it be that Jesus is saying, you should tell God about how you've forgiven other people? Huh. Because prayer is much more about conforming us than conforming him. Prayer, we, we hear our prayer, and it conforms us. See, it's a sanctifying prayer. The Spirit of God sanctifies us as we're praying this. And then we go on, and this transformation is also praying that God would lead us not into temptation, take us away from things that are going to trip us up and deliver us from evil. There's an evil one that wants to take me out. Oh, God, direct me in your steps away from anything that takes me away from you. What we got? 60, 70 words? You, you could memorize this or, or, or quote this or read this in probably 90 seconds. And in it, Jesus has, has modeled and has distilled for us what a relationship with the Father looks like. Do you have one? Can you pray to God as your Father? Is his kingdom and his name and his will, is it the priority in your life? Are you forgiven? Do you lean on his forgiveness? Is it your nature now to be forgiven? Oh, to give great grace. People wrong you. People treat you poorly. Your heart breaks for them. And you forgive. You forgive. You might say it to them. You might not. You might just say it to your father. Because he's close. And he cares. And then we say, oh Lord, keep me with you. This is the kind of relationship God desires with us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your grace. We need it this morning, Lord, just like every other one. And so we call upon you now. Lord, I pray for one here that needs to put their trust in you completely. May they call out to you, the Savior of the world, the one who died in our place. And for those that already know you, I pray, Lord, we would live in this kind of an intimacy with you regularly, daily, moment by moment, ceaseless praying, praying in all circumstances, we'd be devoted to prayer. Why? Because you're close. Because you care, Lord. We pray this in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen.